Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode four of Purple Hyacinth, Merciless Murder. Okay, accurate description. And we're here with Bundan and Foop. Hello. Hello. All right, so we left off last last chapter where the assassin offers to make a deal with her. And Lauren is left confused. And that's where we start off. She is facing the night. She has her radio in her hand. And there's an emphasis on the radio because she didn't use it. And that was a kind of a pivotal choice. She almost called called him in and then he stopped her with his words. So she's, you know, she's gripping it. And I think she's thinking about like, okay, why didn't I call them? What would have happened if I had called them? And obviously, like, she has a lot to think about now with what, all that he told her. And she, yeah, she, you know, she even, like, she kind of, like, stumbles from the emotional load. You know, she falls over and she has this extremely grumpy look on her face. It looks like she's frustrated with herself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You can just feel the conflict in her, like, the two sides of her fighting over this, mulling over what he said. It was an intense chapter. Yeah. She did, I think, uh, let her emotions get the better of her and let her own personal life get in the way of her personal one. Uh, I don't remember, but her mask was knocked off, right? In the last Mm -hmm. episode? Yeah. It got knocked off, I think, in episode two. Yeah, he kicked it off. And so it's just been on the floor. Yeah, and she, she never put it back on. So that also could, it also does go to show that, yeah, she's picking up right here. Um, it also does go to show that she let her guard down and she let her personal life interfere with her professional one. Mm-hmm. That's like a thing, the conflict, right? You know, she was, if she would have done her job, she would have radioed in right away and, you know, it probably would have gotten away fine. But like, she's mad at herself because she didn't. And again, like, this is her obsession. And we'll see throughout the story, she lets her obsession blind her and distort her judgment. I think she's also confused because he is a lot of, he is a person of contradictions. He's an assassin who wants to kill the leader. He wants to be on her side, wants to help her. But is he just murdered two people? Like, how can she reconcile working with someone who's a murderer, but also has the same goals as her and who she knows she could team up with and probably do better? Like, she she obviously knows that he, what he's offering is something that she can finally use to get momentum but you know it's the whole morality of it as well mm-hmm. is she willing to team up with the purple hyacinth himself to further even it to further her own goal and to further um, a goal even if it is like a technically good one it's mm-hmm. like Bundan said a big morality thing right well she doesn't even know he's a purple hyacinth yet as of yeah. as of the beginning of the chapter <laughs> But yeah, she'll find out now. Oh, (laughs) anyway, so she's an assassin. So yeah, 
I mean, yeah, she, we can assume though. They found the hyacinths at the scene, so. Right, but she didn't know at the time. No, she, she was, didn't. And she was with him, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's heading back now to the scene and you see, you know, it's the house and there's ambulances and the, these cars. I always find I love- it so funny. Like, okay. sorry, go ahead. I know I was just gonna say um we can't hear the episode right now but I love when you're reading it when you get to this when you just hear like the sirens fading mm-hmm. with the mu- as like the ambience and the music again mm-hmm. the atmosphere for this is just so gonna just really builds on top of the art mm-hmm. I just want to say that sorry I think yeah. there's even like a dog bark or something right and that oh. just also adds to the atmosphere it makes it feel more real I can't remember that but I believe it <laughs> and one thing that I like is that you know the setting is mainly like Victorian-ish but then there's always these there's like these modern things that come in like for example the sirens on top of the police car and the flashing lights so and and you know there's like the telephones and the radios so I kind of I'm still impressed because it manages to still give off that um like early you know century vibe even though it has some modern implements in there so it's cool I like it um and I do like I know there was a Q&A or or it was something where they asked uh, fans asked the authors you know what time period is it and they're like there it's a made-up time period <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not consistent with anything mm-hmm. um so I like that because I like when people are starkly accurate but it's um you know it's it doesn't jar like it's overall like it's it's still consistent enough where it doesn't throw you off um I read um this other webtoon like last week where within one within the first episode there was like there was medieval references there was costumes that were like the 1800s there was something else that was from like the 500s it was just a complete historical mess and I just I could not stand it but this Mm. one is fine like it just doesn't bother me because it's not meant to be accurate or anything yeah which webtoon was it I don't remember it wasn't memorable (laughs) um it was one of them that was on the promotion it was like you know they have like a valentine's day thing and like you know you read these three comics and you get like three coins i think it was one of those um i just scrolled i've been remarried in public because whatever but (laughs) i I try to say only nice things for sure on the podcast but whatever so i'll keep it at that (laughs) opinions but yeah yeah you know i don't want to i like anybody who puts up a webtoon i admire them and i think Mm -hmm. i i'm so happy when people get to do their creative work and like if it's not my style that's fine it should be for someone else's style and i just i love to see people be creative and and put things out so you know that's all good (laughs) yeah um but back to like the 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 settings and costumes and stuff what i like about purple hyacinth is that even though it's like what Victorian but also maybe technology up to like the 40s and stuff with like the radios and and the women being able to be police officers right, and yeah. stuff, all that I I enjoy the fact that it maintains its own internal logic mm-hmm. like you what you see is definitely within that weird window of time and what they've established they've never really deviated from that style so even though no. it's made up and it's kind of like a a broad range of inspirations they stick to those inspirations which makes you feel more grounded in the world and it's more believable i find in terms of the world building anyways yeah yeah, yeah no it, there's almost everything is like victorian early 1900s except for like a few bits of technology which is it's not like a cell phone it's still early-ish yeah it feels a bit surreal too like a bit out of body because like you know some of this stuff like shouldn't be fitting in with the victorian 
um, with the Victorian aesthetic, but like Bundan says, it really creates its own world. And that's what makes PH like so unique as well, Mm -hmm. because um, it is pretty grounded. Like it is sort of realistic. Like you could kind of see it being real worldy and it's not like super fantasy, but it is, it does have its own little um, magic and stuff like that. So it's a very unique world. I was listening to an interview with the authors and they said that they actually, they asked them, like, where'd you come up with the inspiration for the story? And they said they actually came up with this setting first. They wanted to write something Victorian inspired and like draw the costumes and like the story came afterwards. I love that. Uh, you can really feel like how much they love of this aesthetic in this world. And they really picked a story that fits well into it, like this Victorian style thing. Like, yeah. I know they used like, Jack the Ripper and that and stuff like that as inspiration as well and you really do get that kind of gruesome vibe with it and very well thought out world the the plot the characters the world they all fit seamlessly and it's yeah it's very admirable and impressive yep so they're taking the body right the body they're covered um into the hospital when Lauren walks past she looks around, she's looking right and left, and she sees her her buddies, right? Kim and Will and another person that we don't know yet, a young guy with freckles. And oh no, we didn't. Okay, he is um we did meet him. He's in, in the, the prologue. prologue. Yeah, it's Harvey. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I mean I know it's Harvey, but yeah, we did meet him. And so Will says, All right, I need two officers. And then, you know, Kim is like impatiently tapping her hand. She clearly has very little patience <laughs> for like official stuff. And then she spots Lauren and she's like, Lauren, and she runs, you know, she's, or, you know, it could also be a sign of her anxiety, by the way. Yeah, I think um, it's her mainly being anxious about Lauren. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. And yeah, she spots her and she runs to her. She's clearly relieved. And Will also turns around and looks at her and she says, you know, are you hurt? Are you okay? You know, attacking her. I'm so glad you're back. And she's like burying her face in her chest. She's like, of course I am. Why were you so worried? And, you know, Will comes and he's like, you were gone for so long. I was about to send someone out to look for you. What happened? And she says, he got away. Um, I thought I had him, but I wasn't able to hold him. So not exactly divulging everything. Not a complete lie, though. Yeah. yeah, Right? (laughs) She learned, huh? We don't see Lauren's lies, though, unfortunately. No. We We don't don't see Lauren's lies. Right, Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, had him. So he caught up to him. And then she's like, wait, you're bleeding. And he's like, that scumbag, he did that to you. It's nice. Like, they're very protective of her. And, you know, Will is usually pretty calm. So the fact that he goes and, like, says that name, you know, like, calls him a scumbag, like, he does care about Lauren. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know I was being careless. It won't happen again. She's, like, wiping her blood. So they're like, so you fought him? So yes, and they wounded him, but not enough to slow him down. And Kim's like, so you did catch him? And she says, he escaped me. And then Kim says, what's surprising is actually that you escaped him. And Will asks, could you describe him? And um, she says, male, tall, slim, but strong, black, long coat, probably in his 20s or 30s. The only weapon they saw was a sword of all things. So a sword is apparently an unusual weapon, even then. Yeah, they got all their guns and stuff. So it'd be like the equivalent of somebody killing people with a sword at like the turn of the century, 1900s, when after, like, you know, their pistols, guns, bayonets. Mm-hmm. Bayonets are more like mid 1800s. Uh, but yeah. Well, they use bayonets in 
yeah like if someone used like a bow and arrow in today's world to kill someone Hmm. that's probably like their Hmm. equivalent but there's like one assassin in the phantom side who uses a bow and arrow (laughs) (laughs) um sorry go on oh i love kim's body language in this scene she goes from like tapping her fingers like she's obviously very nervous because um of the purple hyacinth that she saw and the whole demeanor of the scene is so much more different from like episode two when we first saw them come in because in episode two it was dark uh kim was more playful she was making jokes she was uh, being lighthearted. and now there's a ton of police cars on the street instead of uh blue lighting we have red lighting kim's very nervous everyone's um a little bit like um on edge uh, we see Will with a lot more urgency. Like he's like, "All right, I need two officers," and he's like almost sending someone else to look for Lauren. It's a lot more anxiety in this scene, which is ironic because in the other one, someone had two people had just died, but here they're just dealing with the aftermath, and yet everything feels so much more, um, I guess, anxiety-inducing. Personal. That's why I guess. Not and, just randos who are killed. It's her, like it could be her friend in danger, but yeah. that's Kim. And we see Kim burying her head in Lauren's chest, like just holding on to her, like making sure that she's actually here. And um, as we go more into the story, this does seem a bit more tragic. <laughs> coming back to it <laughs> in hindsight. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, <laughs> so. Um, Will says, remarkable, Captain Herman is at the second crime scene. We didn't get a report, but let me help you. We have to get this bandage first. <clears throat> and Lauren like whips her head around. She's like, Captain Herman is here. And then it really can't be late. So clearly Captain Herman is um, Pugatilius. <laughs> and she's like, I'm fine, seriously. And she's like clutching her arm, you know, which is bleeding. Um, she says, I have to give my report. Let's go. So again, Lauren, you know, we're not surprised, but she's very she doesn't let anything stop her determined once again and kim says you always push yourself too far it's not healthy so kim realizes this good friend good buddies know their friend's flaws (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she's like i'll help you just wait a sec um but you know lauren just uh oh wait then will stops her he like grabs her hand he's like stop are you crazy with your skills you're more likely to kill her instead (laughs) they both have these angry marks like what do you say you twat so there they go again Mm-hmm. I love and, them. Yeah. <laughs> Nonstop. Like last time you treated my wounds, you gave me some weird tea that gave me the runs for a week. Like, well, I'm glad because you deserved every bit of it. <laughs> snipe, 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 sniping at each other all the time. That's great. <laughs> <A> married couple. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And Lauren's like, you know, gives this like peace sign and she has already bandaged up her arm. She's like, if I waited for you two, I would have already bled to death. Let's go. So yeah, she, she expects this from them. She's she's over it. She knows she expects this. And it's like, oh, we have things to do. She's just so done. Gotta love the comedy in this series as well. Like with all the grim dog horror, suspense, gruesomeness. The comedy can just be so stupid and I mean that in the best <laughs> way that is a compliment like the like it just it helps break it up and makes it a lot more enjoyable I think so I love seeing these little com- comedic moments between friends mm-hmm. 
it's also just so realistic right you can see this happening between like you and your own friends as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. yeah 100% I love like these um and in all webtoons I love these little banter so um Will says Lauren you should get some rest first I don't think you understand who you just fought and she's like yeah I know an assassin from the phantom scythe and they're like not just any assassin you're lucky to be alive and Lauren asks what he's like come on you'll see for yourself and she asks if you see his face at least Kim asks her and then Lauren pauses there's a moment and you know here she has to decide like basically it's justice police law and order job versus her revenge quest and she says no and then she thinks to herself when did I start lying to them oh shizzle uh, <laughs> and she sees this gorgeous face on top of her which if you're inclined to be thirsty you could think in those directions but <laughs> you don't have to I love how they just hold off on telling her who it was because they're just like you know let's just keep the suspense for the audience a little longer mm. I think it's it's also like they know that she's gonna ask a million questions probably and like they think it's probably just better for her to get all yeah. of her information out of the way before they tell her who it is because yeah. that might just distract from like the facts of what she witnessed as well so could be that but yeah also good for the audience mm-hmm. yeah and but- you know it's tough you know like this is this is we see right away she's gonna have to start lying to him if she if she chooses to collaborate with him she's gonna have to start lying to a lot of people and that's not an easy decision to make especially when you know you're gonna have to lie to the people that you're closest with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also um I like how we also see Kim's demeanor change again uh, when it comes to Lauren she's very serious and professional like um when Will and Kim catch up to her and we see like he's coughing because she's calling them out <laughs> um she's pretty serious again as she follows Lauren as they go back up into the is it is it I think it's Della Rocca yeah it's Della Rocca yeah Grayson was the first lady the one with the maid I think yeah the second one was the man Mm -hmm. and yeah Kim is not even trying to make jokes anymore she's just you know back to business did you see his face and yeah. <laughs> yeah. She thinks back to his face, that, that face where he was telling her, you know, I wouldn't hesitate to slit your pretty little throat. That's what he was telling her at that point. Um, very. I have no regrets. The liar. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's the great one that we'll, we'll discuss in episode three, mm-hmm. which great line. So. Anywho, we have an aerial shot, a bird's eye shot of police cars outside the building. And then we, we see them walk into the room again. And the, you know, the bodies on the floor, they have these, oh, sorry, they have these cards, they're taking pictures, there's people walking around doing detective stuff. <laughs> and um, a man, who we don't know yet, it says Lieutenant, well, actually it's right there, that's Captain Herman. And uh, Will says, Captain Herman, Officer Sinclair is back. Officer Sinclair finally <laughs> reports. 
And she says the assassin escaped. I and two other officers were in pursuit, but they were soon outpaced. I pursued him for as long as I could and engaged him in a fight before losing as well, losing him as well. And Will says, however, Officer Sinclair got close enough to tell him to be able to got close enough to him to be able to tell that we were dealing with a man, tall, slim, and in his 20s or 30s. And he's like, I see, impressive. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised, Sinclair. So we already see he doesn't exactly think highly of Sinclair. The passive bullshit being like, oh, <laughs> it's you, but he didn't kill you. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah uh, he's, he's very impressed. He, what? He's very professional. Um, he doesn't even like check to make sure that Lauren's doing all right. He's just like, you know, straight to the, straight to the, you know, straight to the, I, the meeting I, talk. Yeah. Straight to the point. He's like report. He doesn't even check out, check on how she is. Like if she's all right, if she was injured, he's just like, okay, I want to know what happened. And now Lauren asks that she's like, what happened here? And he says, ah, yes. Sergeant Liddell, Lieutenant Hawks. And then we see, you know, the two detectives on the floor near the, the, the victim. And Kim says the victim was named Robert De La Roca, 40 years old, male. He was a rich merchant and owned large shares in the Royal Navy's shipyard, the main source of his fortune. And we zoom in on blood on the, on the wall. It's covered with the wallpaper. It's a nice, elegant home. And they say his influence on the shipping market was considerable. And much like the late Lady Grayson across the street, he was known to have close ties with the royal family. It's no surprise the Phantom Scythe targeted them both. So here we have an indication, right? The royal family and the Phantom Scythe do not get along. Phantom Scythe is against the royal family. But it's not unusual, but it's still unusual since they both recently denounced the monarchy. So maybe in an attempt to save their own skins, no one supporting the royals is safe. So it's, you know, a very vivid introduction to like the politics of this world and where you know the phantom scythe is against the monarchy where uh people who support the monarchy are not safe so it's hard to have it's hard to know who to trust or you know if people, what people say is real because when people are afraid you don't you know they don't have the freedom to say what they really think so not a great place if people can't even be authentic and yeah. you know free to say their opinions mm-hmm. and now we have a little bit more exposition the friend of scythe has always targeted the citadel's ruling family and you have that hand that gripping hand which symbolizes the phantom scythe and then over the um the logo the logo sorry the crest of the arhalis royal family says you know what is it arhalis avestor i think yeah, Avestor, I think, is the last name of the royal yeah. family, like okay. the house name. Right, and then the bottom says, Psychot, I think it's missing something, Servus, Bensitale, Bell, Hyacinthus. Um, I didn't look this up before. Should we I'm look this up with you? Food, I think we you have we, it somewhere. We have it, because I think we used this in, in our Jeopardy yeah. that we did <laughs> on the server. Let me find it one second. But yeah, notable thing while Foot looks that up is that there are hyacinths on the crest of the royal family. And the, the reference, it, obviously, hyacinthus probably means hyacinths in Latin. But yeah, big, ostentatious looking crest. And there's a deer with antlers and a royal crown above it. 
And then you see a king on the throne and a queen and a little boy, the prince. I'm pretty sure it's something like strong as a stag, beautiful as a hyacinth, something like that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that might be it. I can't find it, but I'm, from memory, I'm pretty sure it's something along those lines. Strong as a what? Strong as a stag, beautiful as a hyacinth. Service, yeah, I guess that means stag. Uh, um yeah stag that's what it means oh okay here we go here we go so someone back on the old server said the crest says strong as a deer beautiful as a hyacinth that's correct yeah <laughs> nice so they're you really can... they're really just saying their family is beautiful wow i think yeah. they mean the the kingdom no yeah i mean it could be the i mean it could be the kingdom if it's the royal crest usually crests from royal families are for the house so it's like um, I found a photo which has the which has the whole thing, and the top says "famacia," I think, which I might mean family in Latin. "Famacia," maybe. I don't. Yeah, know it means family. Yeah, it's huh. just like uh, "avesta ardalis," family, and then the the motto Probably. of the family below. It's like Game of Thrones with the dire winter is coming. <laughs> That's how, I mean, it might just be the motto of, like, the country itself, but, like, you know, they might just share that. I don't know, but, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, Google auto-corrected my shirt to Familia, which is Italian, which is the Latin thing, which with an F-A-M-I-L-I-A. So, it, wait, yeah, that might be an L instead of an I, or, sorry, an L instead of a C. I can't really tell. <laughs> So yeah, it might have been familia, yeah. not fam- familia. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. Mm-hmm. Hard to tell the horn is or the antler is blocking it. Ooh, yeah. So here um, we continue with the scene, and Marsh says, "Good assumption, but forensics sound more." Roca appears to have Roca 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 appears to have fought back before the assassin killed him. The gunshot you heard was from Della Roca's weapon. And Lawrence says that makes sense. As near as I could tell, the assassin was only carrying a sword. He probably got into the mansion through a window and waited for his target to fall into his trap. He must not have expected that the man would be carrying a gun. And he's still holding the gun, the victim's still holding it. Uh, and then she points to a hole in the um, in the seat, in the wall. She says, Delaroca must have tried to defend himself and shot at the assassin, but missed. Probably because he would have been trying to run away at the same time, and he seems to have collided with a desk. Uh, and we see an illustration of the man, you know, near the desk. If he was running, that would also explain the wound on his back, because you see that looks like he bumped into it. He must have turned around to try to shoot the assassin again, which is when the scumbag finished his work by slitting the Rocco's throat. And we see the man on the floor, in case you know, covered in blood. And then the killer escaped through the window, which is when I spotted him, because we see broken shards of glass through the window. And the blonde detective is just like, we have this kind of comedic panel of her, you know, looking like, hmm? like, how did you get all that? Okay. Yeah, it, it um, really demonstrates Lauren's ability as a detective, which is a bit odd because we're like, why is she, why is she like doing this analysis better than the at- detectives that we see like March and the blonde woman when she's an officer? Like she's with Kim and Will. We don't see Kim and Will uh, being this analytical at the crime scene so why is why is she an officer when she should be a detective <laughs> <laughs> and 
and March has this proud smile on his face. He says, good analysis and clear. And I like that, you know, it's kind of like, well, we'll, we'll know more about March later, but he um, seems to be proud, you know, he's like, uh, seems like a generous person, emotionally generous. And he seems like he's very, um, I think, I think he does like Lauren as an officer, like as a, as a person to work with. I feel like he sees a lot of potential in her maybe, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but Herman, not quite that same attitude. He says, <laughs> "Leave the investigating to the detectives, Officer Sinclair," emphasizing that she is not a detective, and, and also emphasizing he does not like her. <laughs> yeah, and this there's this panel of Lauren just looking down with a little bit of a dejected look on her face, and we don't like you either, Herman. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not so against Herman, but you know, I'm also, um, as I mentioned at some point, very straight laced myself, and I, I like these kind of hard nosed personalities. Um, I like people with a lot of discipline and rigid rules. <laughs> I guess I don't know, maybe I don't, but whatever. In the story, I do. So, um, so I guess strength. I admire people who are very strong. Mm-hmm. Oh. Me at this what? point, like me at this point not despising Herman has become a joke on the verbal hyacinth server (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um yeah I don't I don't hate him there's definitely more to like his character and I think I've talked a bit about it with you Mindy (laughs) I'm cuffed to him as a joke on the ph server (laughs) yep she's handcuffed Um, to him it's a rule that we made people (laughs) when they do like when people don't sleep at night when they do things that are like silly that we jokingly want to like penalize them for so yeah food we have food handcuffed to Herman which is gonna be handcuffed to Herman for uh, the indefinite future Uh. (laughs) okay well I wouldn't want to be handcuffed to Herman I will say that what do you have to do to get handcuffed to Kieran I'm just asking (laughs) there's we have different handcuff roles you can get Kieran you can get Herman uh, other characters <laughs> that we meet but yeah okay <laughs> anyway so marsh says an investigation will be open tomorrow as he's running in his notebook from what we know for sure we're looking at the method is that the two murders tonight were definitely committed by the same color and of course it just has to be the worst our tallest has ever known um and he's writing in his notebook one slash in the back and one finishing blow on his neck and he um he or somebody says i will alert the castle and royal guard their security needs to be tightened before he strikes again i think that's herman yeah yeah. since he's police captain yep and marsh said it's been a curiously long time since he was last seen around the city um killing two people on the same night is not his typical modus operandi either so maybe something to keep in mind we don't know where, where, why was he taking a break? Why That's for taking? sure something we have to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, sorry, uh, do we get like um, confirmation on how long he was gone? Because people say it was like three years or something, but I'm not sure if we know. I, I think, think so. that might be in the next episode. Oh, or like okay. the, the next time that they we cut back to this, because I don't think the next episode focuses on the police. I think we go to a different place in the next episode, from what I remember. So 
that I think they bring that up at some point, but he's been gone for some sort of stretch of time, probably a few months, let's say. Or he hasn't committed any murders. He could have just been not murdering, but (laughs) learning how to Reading a book, (laughs) planting a garden, writing poetry. (laughs) Which, by the way, it's very likely, given what we know. (laughs) But then you did not. (laughs) Yes, I did. I have to reference the pet bunny. I wrote Uh, a fic once, a crack fic about him owning a pet bunny. Oh, gosh. Uh, He was farming some rocks. Wait, where do you put your fic? Oh, AO3. I can link it to you after. Yeah, I can um I can link it on in the show notes. I, I generally tend to do that. People have a AO3. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Okay, and then I'd like to read it. I haven't read any PH fiction yet, fanfic yet. Mm. I'm so behind on popular fanfic. But um but yeah, sometimes I feel like I, I added more schoolwork to myself when I <laughs> feel like I'm obliged to read everything. Anywho. <laughs> So Will says, just like Furman, when we thought he was finally gone for good, he pops back up. Um, and again, it's a, you know, I mean, not surprising that you would say that about an assassin, but it also is a very strong language to talk about, you know, a person like that. And um, Kim, as always, the sneaky bastards slipped through our fingers, even when we were closer than ever to catching him. And she's like, what do you mean? We already know the identity of the killer. That's Warren asking that. And they both Herman and Mark and March just look at her like incredulously, <laughs> like they just turn back, like see this is surprised that she doesn't know. And March is like, of course we know. And Herman says he signed his murders, like he always does. And he steps forward, and he says, "Officer Sinclair, the assassin you encountered tonight is none other than." And he holds up the bag, the purple hyacinth, it's the bloody purple oh. hyacinth such a good moment roll credits i mean just look at the lighting on lauren and even herman it's fantastic it's oh. gorgeous and then that they is- just build suspense like lauren's like wait we already know who it was and march is like of course we know <laughs> and then um we got herman talking and we see herman walking towards something but we, we're not entirely sure and then he and then i think grace or the blonde lady hands him a bag and we're like wait a minute then Herman holds up the bag and it's the confirmation for the audience and we're like oh no and then we get the dialogue and then we're Lauren in that moment Lauren is us <laughs> we're just nutty and yeah we're shocked we're shocked <laughs> although we technically did know from episode two right because yeah yeah he's it- holding it mm. Like we we don't know we we didn't have the name drop of the purple hyacinth but like you know we can assume that he something to do with the purple hyacinth but yeah now yeah. we know that that's just his calling card that's his name mm-hmm. yeah and she is looking completely you know shocked her eyes are wide open and like you said there's this gorgeous lighting and now the hyacinth is in, is blurred it's like we're looking through the bag like mm-hmm. that's how I kind of see it. it's focused on her yeah, but then same. you can see through the bag it's just really interesting shot composition mm-hmm. beautiful yeah it's great and now we have the image which we had before of the purple hyacinth petals falling through darkness and you know they're lit up it's just beautiful it's, it's a very very beautiful cartoon like the the flowing the image is beautiful and then you have again this this sensitive shot of the purple hyacinth who now we've met in person and he's he's leaning against a rooftop 
and um you know his hands are bloody he's wearing <laughs> a little bit of a gorgeous shirt you know kind of open the, the billowing pirate Teddy shirt window. with the bee and the lady window <laughs> the blood and i'm the... happy that he's wearing that shirt that's all <laughs> everybody's happy that he's wearing that shirt <laughs> <sighs> he's gorgeous okay but never mind suddenly, next <laughs> suddenly this scene makes so much more sense now that we know that he's the purple hyacinth we're like oh he's holding a purple hyacinth but now we know that he goes by the name purple hyacinth i love that um the name of the story takes on so many different like the different ways you look at it this the story title can be different things it's named after the flowers because he's the purple hyacinth but they obviously have a symbology bigger than what we know because they're on the crest of the royal family and in the prologue, I think when we cut to, no, I think it's episode one where it's like her date that she's on, they're purple hyacinths all over in little like window boxes and stuff. So it's interesting. And then if you go deeper and you look up what hyacinths mean, purple hyacinths mean, it's like, I'm sorry, an apology. So it's just like, there are layers. It's yeah. Like, it's like the onion from Shrek, there's layers. <laughs> The interesting thing is that the title isn't the purple hyacinth. It's just just purple hyacinth. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when you refer to someone, you say like the, and you don't like have their name, you're like the baker or like in this case, the purple hyacinth. So it makes me feel like the title isn't necessarily referring to him, nor is the flower because like a purple hyacinth, the purple hyacinth, Mm -hmm. there's no article there. And so it's just purple hyacinth and like Bundan said, the meaning is like sorrow, regret, um, apology. And so that is basically the title of, it makes you think that this is the title of um, PH. It's, I'm sorry. That's like, you know, because that's the meaning. It's like regret because you don't say the I'm sorry, maybe like, uh, I'm sorry, or like an apology, but you don't, it's more like you can mm. leave it by itself. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. No regrets. Like, we see you, we see you, mister. And that's, you know, that's like the saving grace, right? Because a true psychopath has no regrets. A true psychopath doesn't have, doesn't care about other people. But this one, he does, right? If we're to correctly, I think, assume that the purple hyacinth, he chose it for for apologizing, he does feel bad. And the last there, you know, the last few scenes over here, like panels here, I think show that side of him. You know, he seems to be leaning back against the wall. He's got his hand on his head. Um, he looks like he is contemplating and um, a bit sorrowful, you know. Um, obviously, he's just come back from a murder or this is not after, he's not wearing the same thing as as now. Like, so it's presumably not, you know, like right after this episode. Um, but it's just, I think, a general shot of him, you know, after he's done something violent and just like, looking at himself and like, what have I done? Like, why am I doing this? And like, what am I, who am I? And what kind of person am I? And, you know, leaning back and not wanting to really, nobody wants to think of himself as, as a bad person. Um, But this is who he is and this is who he's become. And that scene of him looking at the purple hyacinth and it just looks like a very contemplative, sorrowful scene. And it ends with him sniffing it and smelling it. And, you know, we talked about this because it's in the prologue, I believe you know, where he is still able to find the beauty, even despite 
his crazy life. <sighs> his backstory is going to hurt us so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be so sad and I'm ready. <laughs> Bring on so, the pain. You know, um, speaking of tropes, like it's definitely a trope to have like bad boy with a troubled past, you know, like he's bad. And then you find out and you're like, oh my God, he's a terrible person. And then you find out why, because some terrible, awful thing that happened to him. And you know what? Like it's so tropey and I love it. I've always loved that. that. I think I put that as one of my things in my presentation, tall, dark, and handsome bonus points for trauma. (laughs) So it's so on point that what, and I, and I've always been in love with that because when I was a kid, I always took out those orphan books. I always, all my daydreams were always about a guy with a like abused background. I married a guy like that. And then I, my, I wrote a novel, I wrote like a novel when I was in um, eighth grade. It was like a really, it was filled a whole notebook. So it was a novel in my eyes. And it was about a boy who was an orphan and he'd been abused when he was younger. And his name was Renee, which is my husband's middle name. And I was like, Aww. that was very, very funny. And <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've always fallen for that. And that's just for better or for worse it's what I like honestly yeah. if I meet Kieran in real life I know a bunch of people would be like oh I'd kiss him or I'd do I don't know I'd flirt with him or something I would slap Kieran or I keep saying his name whoops I'm sorry I would slap <laughs> him if I met him in real life like I just I want to punch him okay. but then I want to give him a hug oh I, Wait, I elaborate like... why do you want to punch him besides for the fact that he murders people hard in horrible ways I would direct him to the nearest therapist <laughs> with a hug. Good yeah. luck. Just, just good luck getting people to go to therapy. Just anyway. Oh, I know. <laughs> he has a punchable face. A very, very punchable face. I can't deny that. He is a little shit, as we saw <laughs> in episode three. But I love him. It's like, <laughs> it's like yes, but it's him we can't like that's my boy that's my boy so um i'm gonna make an episode comparing torah and 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 this guy kieran let me as well say we've said it it's not time already um then one of the things that will come up later is a reason that i prefer kieran to torah um but i'll let you guys know after we record but when i saw something about him later i was like okay he just scored a lot more points in my eyes. <laughs> oh, I used to read Midnight Poppyland, but I dropped it like two episodes before the finale because I didn't realize the finale was coming up. Um, oh, I, need I need to, to read reread it. it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Also, many of my webtoons are on hiatus right now. I might as well. There's so many webtoons I need to reread. I've been meaning to reread Shiloh, but I keep not getting oh. around to it. <laughs> Okay, I, I heard about it, so I haven't read it yet, but I, I should. Oh, but anyway, gorgeous. actually, um, let's first finish talking about this episode yeah. um, in terms of recording, because I don't want random stuff yeah. to be on the recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel sure. bad for people. Let's get back who, to it. Yeah, are Sorry. Here. But, no, I mean, um, yeah, so we the, the episode. Do we have, do we have anything to say about the episode, like, to end it off? Um, Lauren's feeling even worse now, because not only did she just let an assassin go, she let go the worst assassin in the city the most infamous known <laughs> for brutality and no no witnesses nobody escapes him but she mm-hmm. did and I think it's just bending her mind even more because it's like the best assassin wants to work with me to take down his boss what mm-hmm. so <laughs> gotta love the, the conflicts that arise out of every little thing that we learn 
Mm-hmm. And just the buildup, everything just keeps building up more. Like mm-hmm. um, in the pro in the prologue, we see that we meet this dude for the first time, and we're like, "Oh, okay, who is he?" And we're introduced to the Phantom Size, so that like sets the ground for introduced to everyone. Um, then we have episode one and we get the murders in that episode and so like you know it's like oh oh oh, what's happening and then we get Lauren called in and then in episode two we see um, the maid rush out and we see um, that the bodies are there and then uh, we see this man jump out of the window and then we see Lauren chasing this man and then we see will and kim realize who this man is and lauren doesn't know who this is and we're not entirely sure that we have some idea and then episode and then lauren catches up to him and we see his face and then he proposes the deal to her and she and he gets away and then she comes back and realizes he's the purple hyacinth he's the worst assassin in the city like everything just keeps on building and she's like she might even end up working with him and so it's brilliant everything just keeps going up and up and up and it's a roller coaster that's great and i know you were mentioning you know you said before like not only is he assassin he's the purple hyacinth um one i mean i read well the book that to me was the most influential on storytelling was robert mckee's book story but i'm sure it's a general principle in order to make um your story meaningful and emotionally impactful the stakes have to be high So, you know, that just upped the stakes and that made this decision and this encounter even more meaningful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you get the sense that it's like, it's not like the last chapter, especially was really like a big curveball, but now the curveball is like, like a tornado. It's like, (laughs) where is it going to go? And spoiler alert it just gets worse from here <laughs> everything yeah everything is going uphill yet going downhill at the very same time it's great it's a great roller coaster to be on <laughs> yep okay well have we exhausted our, our talk on this episode i think so <laughs> i think so as well um yeah okay yeah. Well, let me end the recording. Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Mary, Alley Cat, Chelsea, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, another Emily, Joe Rochelle, and Dahlia. I really, really, really appreciate you.